Hi, this is Tzemach. Uh, I would like to record a quick podcast. We're actually planning a podcast um, with Shalom Aleichem. But I thought, hey, uh, sometimes we have like a sound. If my sound is too low, <clears throat> or too loud, and I think I blame Zoom because we actually record our podcast through Zoom where Shalom Aleichem is calling through his phone and I'm just speaking into the mic and I've been thinking of getting a gizmo um, uh, it costs like $500 but so you can essentially run like a studio people people can call and you can plug their telephone right into the recording and you can control the volume but i wasn't sure it's like 500 bucks who knows like one day i think this is this whole substack is a stupid idea so i spend more money on it but anyway i want to say a few words so i get a few things off my chest uh, before we record a podcast with Shalom Aleichem. And this way I can sort of say certain things and maybe he can think it over and reply to it. But before we do, I had a shock of my life yesterday and I realized that the Kramer from Seinfeld is not Jewish. It's, it's hard to believe just because of all his mannerism that I always thought were Jewish mannerisms. And, of course, his appearance. And what do you know? He's not Jewish. Not even half Jewish or quarter Jewish. His mother is Italian. Look it up. So, anyway, my friend um, Ezra listened to my last podcast and what, 20 minutes of it? And, of course, when we spoke, he had a very substantive suggestion, which is, he said, I don't think you pronounced apostles correctly. It, they, it's a silent T, apostle, right? So, all right, so that made me actually look up this word. And as you, as you know, in my last podcasts, I called apostles or apostles shluchim eh, just in jest and what do you know i'm looking up etymology of this word and there's actually an article about apostles or apostles in jewish encyclopedia that i'm going to link up with this podcast and it actually says that uh, the word apostolos literally mean one who is sent off which is Hey, listen, turned out that I wasn't translating apostles in jest by naming it shaliyach, but the opposite, the shaliyach was actually a prototype, the real name, shluchi bezdin, which got translated into Greek as apostles, but the real meaning was that those people were actually shluchim. So some people uh, actually like to tell that those comparisons are offensive, which may be, may be true. 
But the truth of the matter is that the quote which I had from Karl Marx, which he says, which he quotes Hegel and remarks and says, Hegel remarks somewhere that all great world historical facts and, pers pers and persons occur as it were twice. And then Marx saying he has forgotten to add that the first time is tragedy and second time is farce. So we are, I don't know if we're living a second time because there were many in between, but we're certainly living in a farce. And comparisons to what was going on back in the day are closer than most people think. It's also in this article and elsewhere there's a mention that there were shluchim, which were translated Beloshen Medina Apostoloi, and that those are people who went out to ask for Machtis Ashekel for Beis Migdash. So they called them even back then Beloshen Medina Apostoloi, or the people who were sent out. And, uh, you know, what they call today emissaries. But anyway, so let's uh, let's go back to uh, subject of this um, little podcast, and that is this event or article that came out last week about eight million dollar fine for Satmar Yeshiva. And of course, what happens with Substack? People instead of commenting. They send me texts, emails, some even call me. And it, it creates sort of cacophony, you know, because I'd like to respond to the same comments at the same time and preferably in comments here to the post, but it sort of comes to speaking often the same things with different people. But nevertheless, I can, I can split comments into certain categories, okay? So, one would be, oh, this article, this article in the New York Times is, is anti-Semitic. So, I'm not going to even address that kind of uh, characterization. I, I think people who characterize this as anti-Semitic, they're sort of stupid and they always will be stupid, all right? Not interested in addressing that take. Then... There's a say, okay, it's New York Times, you know, New York Times, how big enemy now is New York Times. Hey, listen, uh, not going to defend New York Times here, but one thing they do very well is investigative reporting. And as someone pointed out to me, specifically fellow uh, that wrote this article about Satmari Shiva, has been on this story for a while. His name is Brian Rosenthal. And he actually is a very good investigative reporter. And I'm going to link up to a couple of articles in New York Times that he previously uh, wrote, specifically investigation of uh, collapse of the taxi industry. Now, the real question that people should be asking is that the hundreds and hundreds of Haredi uh, or from blogs or pay newspapers, etc., but there's no any investigative reporting that done inside the community, and I, you know, I would argue that uh, 
not only there's no any investigative reporting, but when there is something that's written that's mildly critical, it's not getting linked up, it's not, it's not getting any uh, airtime in those official channels. I think that investigative reporting is important for any kind of culture because people who complain about anti-Semitism, when there is no accounting internally, it sort of morphs into ugly accounting from outside in. And that's sort of how anti-Semitism grows because there's no checks and balances inside the community to look at some of the issues that should be looked at. So instead of complaining about the New York Times, you should be complaining about the fact that there's no any investigative reporting critical of negative cultural elements inside the community. Because there's, you know, there's a lot to look at. Like people say, hey, what else is new? Like I say, hey, there was, I say, there was a reporting in New York Times about some fraud inside uh, Satan Rishiva. They say, hey, what else is new? Meaning that the corruption and fraud inside the com Jewish communities, especially religious communities, which is sort of an oxymoron, is so widespread and so pervasive that it's not news anymore. I say, okay, of course it's not news, but maybe it's not news for people who live inside those communities and understand that that's the only way they function. But it is it is news as far as any kind of publicity shedding light on this ubiquitous fraud. And it's, as we know, it's just uh, a top of the iceberg, so to speak, because it's not just schools, but this fraud is pervasive in all aspects uh, of those communities. I mean, as somebody mentioned to me, one can look at those PPP loans during COVID, or maybe one can look at the, a short-term loan industry, and of course many other Virtually all aspects, you know. I, I was listening to. Uh, I was listening to some old, Ronald Reagan, interview with uh, in the Carson show, and he says that yeah, in jest was like, appearance before election. So he says, hey, if American government stops for three weeks, nothing is gonna happen, and everybody laughs and applauds, great, true, nothing is going to happen. Yeah, there's one thing is going to happen. If American government will stop for three weeks, the Satmar community and other Jewish communities, so-called future of Jewish people, will simply collapse. Now, uh, it's not just Satmar, of course, you know, it's Chabad and everybody else. So the real question is that it seems to be that the only way those communities can function is through hacking American government help, so to speak. It, especially today, where economic reality is such that not only there's 
drop in birth rate outside Haredi communities, and I'm speaking about Jews now, but also um, the fact that you, you can't afford to have a lot of kids um, and to have a private education, etc. If, you, if you're a normal sort of Jew or maybe non-Jew who functioning inside this economy. So the only way the Haredi community can function is to hack American system. And of course they do the same thing in Israel, but economic situation in Israel is a little different because they have subsidies for children to a large degree than they have in America, which is bad by the way. You know, one of the things that the new, new Italian leader who is uh, unfortunately being cast as a fascist, one, one of the things that she advocates is the support of the family to enable families to have kids. But for what it's worth, uh, if you're Chabad or if you're Satmer or some other Haredi, there's no way to have 10 kids in this economy. So you have to resort to hacking the system. And they hack it in a different ways, you know, like for example, Shlichus is also a hack of a system. You know, you, you go outside of this economy and all of a sudden somebody who is, has no education, Jewish-wise often, has no education in any secular studies and only has a PhD in backslapping. And some character like this, they found a hack that you can insert yourself into well-to-do zip codes and extract money in exchange for Jewish nostalgia. And it turns out that this extraction is, uh, is rather profitable. So, I know we had a quick conversation here with Sholom Aleichem, and he was uh, comparing situation today to old Europe. And I, I don't know if you can actually compare it to the old Europe. You know? my, uh, my grandfather's family, when his father passed on, and he was a young man, so he left uh, three sisters and my grandfather, and the only way they could survive is they had to fa uh, somehow find a way to buy a cow, which will provide some su sustenance for the family. I mean, so you can't compare what's going on now to what's been happening back then. You know, you're not going to run out and buy yourself a cow. So situation is different. So I'd like to compare things that are happening now not to things that happened before. And what is happening now that you see a pattern where people who live through this hackery or hacking, they live economically outside of rules of this country for what it's worth. Sometimes it involves fraud. Sometimes it involves deception, like in the case of Chabad. But the result is quite obvious, you know. It, I, I can't speak of things that I don't know. I can only speak of things that I see myself. And what do I see myself? Let's say I go into, into a Chabad house or into a house of, of so-called apostle or shlich. What do I see? I see one 
avid Knani is wiping at wiping ass of his kid. Another avid Knani is cooking his chont. Another avid Knani is washing the floors. This is not how Americans live today. Not to mention that he lives in a house that's unaffordable for people who are middle class and often even mean upper middle class. So this is a hackery of the system. This is the way Chabad hacks the system. There's different hackery on the, on the, on the, on the part of Satmar. And of course, you know, this, this debate is not only, not only Satmar decided uh, to separate themselves from American culture and in certain way, American economy. Like, for example, you have Amish or Amish, but they live a very different lifestyle. And unlike Hasidic communities, they actually don't have like rabbis, and it's, it's still managed to have a very healthy communal life. They work with their hands. But bottom line is for whatever the life, the way Satmar leads, you know, it never mind that they live in part of the New York that have a healthy real estate, as many people in Brooklyn. But bottom line is that they live beyond the means that allows economy of this country at the moment. And even if you lived in the 70s, you could have uh, four kids on one salary. Then fast forward, you need to have two salaries. And it's difficult even to have four kids. Most families in America maybe have two, three kids. So you have those families that have 10 kids. It's impossible. It's impossible to have 10 kids on any salary in this country. I don't care what job you have. It's impossible to have 10 kids. So the only way you're able to do it is that um, uh, you might have a cash job like a plumber, all those blue-collar jobs that Satmars do, or you might get underpaid like they did in yeshivas, and then you have, uh, you know, government fills in the gap, so to speak. You might have a, a cash business or whatever. So it's a hack. It's a hack of the system. And uh, Jews love to complain about anti-Semitism, but if, if Goyim really would find out what is going on, you know, now's the time where we complain a lot about the Ukrainians and what happens in the time of Bogdan Khmelnytsky. But if you look at it from, from a distance, Jews live also through a hack. They, they live through a hackery of attaching themselves to uh, Polish pawns. And uh, they lived quite different than, than the economy of people around them. This is what traditionally caused anti-Semitism. But anti-Semitism is not, is not a subject I'd like to take on. I'm not really interested in this. I'll, I only want to briefly say that the general trend for Chabad, Satmar, and other Haredim is to hack the system in some way because otherwise you just can't afford this lifestyle. And, uh, you know, Goim, who maybe read New York Times 
they don't know, of course, it's just like one-tenth of going on what's going on there because literally government substance there from, from cradle to grave. As I said, people economically, you, you're not able to have those big families otherwise. So you can't really complain about this to individual Satma, people from Satmaron or even individual Shluchim because it's sort of like, uh, although in Shluchim I'll make an exception, because I think it's, if, if you're Satmar, hey, you're a little plumber, you do your little blue-collar job, or you have business in some photography shop, and then government uh, adds on uh, with welfare and whatever and other subsidies to enable you to send your 10 kids to yeshiva, it's okay, you know, you, the only the only tie that you can have against the Rebbe, I mean, did 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 really Satma Rebbe envision that kind of a future for his community? Is that what he meant? Uh, is that his anger at the Tzioinim? Really, you know, it's it's quite confused because I think what what's going on now is sort of ugly and unjust, and I don't think it could. Uh, it could last because it, at the end of the day, I think it's it's a it's a moral failure on on the part of those communities. You know, somehow they figured out that they can have this lifestyle despite everything else at at the back of everything else. Of course, in Israel, you know, other Jews are more aware of those kunsim that the Haredim doing because they 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 see quite more clearly the the parasitic life of the Haredi community in relationship to others. But in America, sort of, hey, the goyim, they, they really don't know about those Jewish kunzim and shenanigans. But if they did, trust me, they, they're not going to be happy. So uh, we will continue with a bigger and longer podcast with Sholem Aleichem. But I, I just wanted to outline those themes here. I think what, what I'd like to say is that you can't blame small people. The small people inside community sort of repeat what they do. But you, you should be able to blame leaders or so-called leaders of those communities who set them up in this way. And sort of to be a parasite on the back of other people it's not a moral proposition, and it's not a long-term proposition. So, um, it's something that we'll continue to talk about in a future podcast, which I hope to record tomorrow with Shalom Aleichem. And so far, good night. See you later.